feel like we are in this together. This is their course to optimize. That's how I look at it. Welcome to Teach, Talk, Listen, Learn, a podcast featuring conversations all about teaching and learning from the University of Illinois Urbana-Champaign. I'm Bob Dignan, and in every episode, I'll be joined by colleagues, faculty, and instructors from across our campus to talk teaching. Today's episode will feature happenings out of a relatively new center on our campus, the Siebel Center for Design. Guests with us are... Hello, I'm Jim Wentworth. I'm an associate director at the Center for Innovation and Teaching and Learning. Hi, I'm Dawn Bone. I am a teaching associate professor in the Department of Food Science and Human Nutrition in the College of Agricultural, Consumer, and Environmental Sciences. Hi, I'm uh, Saad Shahab. I'm the head of the assessment and research team at the Siebel Center for Design. Don and Saad have been steeping various food science courses in human-centered design models for a few years and even through emergency remote teaching. They have improved Don's capstone course so, so much already, but they stay true to their ethos and even still have an iterative mindset. Hope you're inspired by Dawn's journey so far and see the strengths that she touts by teaching about, through, and with human-centered design. So the capstone course that I teach is called Food Product Development. So in the Food Product Development course, students are put into teams, and these teams of students select a what we call technical challenge. It's basically either a research or consumer trend in which they want to design, develop um, a new food product. Mm. Yes, yummy. and it, it is very yummy, and it is a great way for them not only to um, practice and apply their contextual knowledge that they've learned, either through their theory-based coursework or their laboratory experiential coursework, but to also practice a lot of the professional development skills that we really value in our curriculum. So things like working in teams, problem solving, risk assessment, communication, project management, um, diving into the research and, and using the research to form some new ways of looking at a project. So. Um, very exciting course. It is the course that they take after they've in the typically eighth semester of their eight semester plan. Um, they are very, very innovative. It's very, very exciting. <laughs> um, and in the past, we had used things that are very commonly used for innovation in the food industry, things like StageGate or what is called front-end innovation. Um, okay, I'm not that familiar with So both are. of those kind of look at it um, there are all consumer-driven approaches to product development, but it is almost um, separated in terms of kind of the consumer insight piece is done usually by um, more of like the consumer insight side, more of the business side of a food company. And then they do a lot of discovery about what a consumer wants out of some new product line or product um, innovation. And then they hand that idea over to the food scientists to do the, um, the product development, project management piece of the puzzle. Okay. And that is fine, um, but it is oftentimes thought of, of kind of like a big food approach to things. Mm. And for some of our students, many of our students actually, as the evolution of the desire to not only do well in their curriculum, but do good for the world, they wanted to have more of a touchstone, more of a of a discovery themselves on that, on those consumer insights. And what human-centered design as a problem-solving approach does is really embeds 
empathetic collaboration with consumer bases to really design and develop products that are definitely solving problems and providing solutions, whether it be a product, a, um, uh, an idea, a concept, a service, service okay. um, a community collaboration, whatever it may be. But it's this idea that we don't, we don't keep the scientists separate from that collaboration, that empathetic collaboration. We actually really encourage the scientists to be part of that empathetic collaboration. Okay. First, how would you explain to somebody on the elevator human-centered design? Like, what's that model like? So for us at the CBA Center for Design, um, human-centered design is an, our mission statement. So the mission statement is to practice, model, and teach design thinking using human-centered design um, to reimagine our campus and community and collective world. So we try um, to um, use human-centered design ourselves to do our own projects because we believe at SCD that human-centered design is a problem-solving approach that tries first to identify the unmet need of a certain population. So basically, mm. it starts with the humans, right? Okay. And once this unmet need is identified, we partner with those people. We collaborate with them and then we iterate with them um, in order to arrive to a solution. So two key terms, as you notice in the definition, empathy and iteration. And empathy is that idea of connecting with the people, not only to get data from them or to learn their preferences. It's more of we are in this world together. Let's sit, let's talk with each other. Let's try to, you know, learn more about your feelings, your thoughts, because, you know, people sometimes say a lot of stuff, but they don't mean them. So mm -hmm. unless they trust you. Right. So you need to work on that empathy. You need to be able to take the perspective of the other and see the world from the view of the other. And this is not easy and usually takes time. So you need to kind of empathize as much as possible because this is where partnership forms between the designer and what we call the user which is a term that i personally don't like a lot because it's more of like you know a partner again it's not a user so you form an entity a team with those people and together you start collaborating and iterating and learning from failure until you arrive to a solution and data shows us or research shows us that whenever human-centered design is used, your chances of arriving to an innovative or creative or new or genuine um, solution to a problem are way higher. And mm -hmm. by solution, we already mentioned that we're talking product, service, dashboard, uh, change. Uh, sometimes you also, uh, you know, encourage people to design their own life. So. A solution can be anything, basically. So that's how we see human-centered design at the Siebel Center for Design in a very brief way, in a yeah. nutshell. Uh, wow, you're, you're even uh, expanding out. We've got a whole other layer we, we need to talk about, which is uh, applying human-centered design to the teaching of a course. Yeah. So, so you were, mm -hmm. uh, Don, you were describing, you know, the, there are design models that your outgoing seniors are going to need when they go into industry. And we'd like them to know the tools of human-centered design and bring that mm -hmm. into their work. But you're dealing with them in that semester as humans mm -hmm. in a 16-week course. Absolutely. And so there's a layer of applying how is the course designed to appreciate and involve those humans. And that's something, Jim, you were talking about in terms of a thread that we're noticing across a lot of the conversations we have been having, uh, ungrading especially, thinking about uh, this layer of, of empathy in teaching. 
Yeah, yeah. Listening to Dom talk about this in the past, I think um, what evolved out of this change is kind of a, a new way of connecting with students. And if you could talk about that a little bit more, Don, I'd love to hear how this has changed. Sure, sure. So yeah, by introducing myself to human, human centered design, it kind of takes over your life. Ooh. You constantly are kind of thinking through almost that those five spaces of human centered design, understand, synthesize, ideate, prototype, and implement. So those are the five spaces. Um, and for teaching, it has allowed me to, when my students are feeling frustrated or they're questioning the why of an assessment or maybe the outcomes of an assessment, it does allow me to have the opportunity to think about, to take a step back and think about, okay, let me be empathetic about why they're frustrated or let me be like encourages me to be empathetic about how they're interpreting what I'm actually asking them to do and how well they're doing it. It really helps you discover that all of us have a lot of opportunity for growth within the way we teach our teach our students and assess our students and share, I think that's the big piece too. When I'm in the course, I feel we are in it to like together, right? Like mm. we are in it together. I'm known to like do songs and dances about that <laughs> um, because there's a Disney channel, it's called High School Musical. Yes, yes, we can name it, it's okay. <laughs> and uh, there's they, songs. They love the promotion. That's all, yeah, yeah the, we're all in this together. Um, and so I've been known to, yeah, I've been yeah. known to, sing it to remind them, but it does, I'm, I, like I said, I feel like we are in this together. This is their course, you know, so much. I'm there to be guiding. Um, I don't look at it and because it's a capstone, I think I have that luxury, but hmm. it is their course to optimize. That's how I look at it. Um, and prior to using human centered design in the course, I don't think I had a good approach for how to continuously optimize the course and how to listen to my students, mm -hmm. how to kind of do the student center plus approach, which human center design allows for. So <clears throat> I have to say that um, like, because what we, because of the partnership and collaboration with Dawn, I think she and her course and what she did uh, in the course and um, her team, of course, the TAs and the students, um, inspired me, I would say, to think about that framework that defines like how do you bring that human-centered design approach into the teaching and learning world, right? Mm -hmm. And the framework that she kept referring to, which is the teaching about, through, and with framework, was inspired by what mm -hmm. she did, honestly, in, in her class. Like, uh, because as I mentioned, we seek to try to integrate human-centered de design in literally everything, right? And teaching and instruction is, is like, 90% of what this space does, at least. So it was good to just, you know, start thinking using that framework on what opportunities exist out there. Mm -hmm. um, I like this framework so much. Um, I have a white paper written on that. It's published on our own website. Yeah, we'll link to um, that. Definitely. I also did one time like um, a one hour session through the art of teaching through Sidil mm -hmm. as well. Right. Yeah, we can yeah. link to that in the yeah. description. So, so it doesn't yeah. just have to be uh, our own stuff. So any anything you've got. Uh, yeah, that's, materials, these we'll are the stuff it. that I have around the framework. That's okay, why sure, I sure. Wanted yeah. to reference them. So if we can link them for sure. Uh -huh. But the idea is like once you teach 
about the, the human-centered design, you're learning about the processes of human-centered design. Because basically teaching about human-centered design, meaning that you're trying to help your learners acquire those uh, skills or tools that can help them, let's say, um, run those spaces that Don talked about, the understand, synthesize, um, ideate, prototype, and implement. Mm -hmm. For example, like if you're teaching them about human-centered design, you may at some point in time want to stop and teach them about interviewing and how to run an interview and what questions to ask during an interview so that you really empathize with the other, right? So that's kind of teaching about human-centered design. Mm -hmm. um, and we believe that these processes are not only relevant for you to do a project. I mean, interviewing is relevant everywhere. We're when doing it right now. We're doing it right now. There you go. So, so, so yeah. The, the, that's why like we see uh, relevancy and, and importance of learning these processes that extend beyond I'm learning them to do a project. But, but that's if we want to just restrict it to the idea of teaching about. Once you teach through human-centered design, this means you have extended your goals beyond the processes of human-centered design being the end goal. Like you're teaching them about human-centered design, but you want them also to use some content knowledge or to learn some content, you know, as they do so. And that's what happened in that course, right? So Don and the TAs engage students in activities to learn about human-centered design so they can also learn food science through human-centered design. Because once they are, let's say, empathizing or prototyping or, or thinking of uh, food science ideas, they are bringing, you know, their knowledge of, um, uh, of food science that they have acquired in previous courses into a very nice authentic context because they are thinking about these concepts beyond just, a, you know, knowledge in a book. It's kind of like, how do I use that to do something meaningful? Yeah, that's an important distinction because um, some folks listening might kind of be like, well, I don't teach a project-based class mm -hmm. and I don't know how I would in a 100 level this and that. Uh, so this other layer that you're describing is the through. Right. That applies right back to the assessment that you were describing mm -hmm. of, of sitting down before you even grade. You're sitting down to understand. Mm -hmm. There could be some learnings even before you go into the grading mm -hmm. section. That's what you're kind of hitting yep. at here. Uh, yeah. So, so, yeah, that's basically the through layer. And I think mm -hmm. the if we want to gain more accessibility to human-centered design into teaching, I would go with the with layer, teaching with human-centered design, because this is basically when you as a teacher or an instructor are seeing human-centered design as a means that can help you do your job better, hmm. right? So you're acting basically as a designer, and teachers are the best designers, in my opinion, because <laughs> they are designing learning experiences, right? Um, so unless they are really good at it, uh, they're not going to influence the people. They're not going to engage them. And we're talking about students here um, that needs, you know, to be motivated. They need to be engaged in whatever learning experience you create, not only cognitively, it has to be emotionally as well. It's such an interesting descriptor for a teacher that I guess I hadn't fully considered as a designer of yeah. an experience. You know, oftentimes uh, we hear teachers talking about having aha moments or they're reflecting back on the reason they're a professor is a string of aha moments or pivotal mentors or something. And a direct application that popped in my head is maybe a theater going experience where there's some lighting cue or special effect or some acrobatic or dance move that gets the audience and you can feel it. It's palpable in the room. They go, ah. Oh. And 
what you just said is, uh, if the audience, if something's not right in that space and the audience doesn't do it, the actors don't just stop and put everything down and be like, get with the program. You got to get on here and find these aha moments. They're there for you. Everybody analyzes afterwards and they go, well, what was in the air? What just happened? What can we do? Is there anything we can? And that's the whole, you know, pre-Broadway. And they're figuring that out. They're designing that experience. Uh, it just hit me that that's a, like such a different role cap for a teacher to ha have as a designer of learning experiences. That's a beautiful analogy. Hmm, thanks. I like that yeah, one. Yeah, that's a beautiful You might have to yep. steal that. Okay, yeah, well, at these aha moments. Yeah, I love the emphasis on how teaching and learning is a partnership, right? We're, we're hearing that again and again through a few of these podcasts is that this is a partnership between the teacher and the student and how do we arrive at a space where it's a really effective partnership. Mm -hmm. um, I'd, I'd like to hear more about how, how this um, has changed your assessment of the capstone course. Yeah, that is a great question. So, um, so I was was able to begin teaching the course in 2013, and it was already taught by a previous faculty member. Um, she established the course and did a really great job establishing some of the the what would now be considered modules of the course. Um, so that first year, I, I, maybe I was kind of doing a little human centered design before even knowing that I was doing human-centered design, but that first year I basically, um, we actually met with students who had previously taken the course, did some focus groups, what did they like, what did they not like, and then we implemented those changes in that first fall that I taught. Um, and so that was good, but I think we still maintained a lot of those original assessments. Um, a lot of assessments where it did feel like they were kind of traditional assessments, having a written assignment along with a presentation, having both, um, making sure that we were assessing every student individually along with as the team. But the way that the course is designed, and this has evolved over time too, it is truly a team-based course. So not a group-based course, it is a team-based course. The core, the students, Prior to the beginning of the semester, they do a pre-semester survey where we ask questions about, yes, what are the courses you've taken? What are the research opportunities you've done? What are the internship opportunities you've done? What excites you about the course? What concerns you? We also added in recently a prioritization question. So why are you taking this course? And we offer kind of eight to 10, depending on the semester, ideas. And some could be as simple as, I want to take a class with my friend, or some could be, I want to innovate with um, industry professionals. Okay, wait, I gotta, I gotta say, it's very interesting. You asked a question about assessment. Yes. And through this approach, through or with, or <laughs> you've gone all the way back to the beginning. The very beginning. You're, it's just, it's, it's a, I think it's an important call out to make that you could have just started talking about the rubric that you made for their pri final presentation yeah. and the taste testing of their products, which I know is a big event and you hold right. it, it's great. But you actually, as a design cap, went all the way back to, well, how are we forming the teams? Because yeah. how you do as a team is vitally important at the end with how we put you together in the beginning. So you're already designing. Yes, thank you for that's, recognizing that's that. Huge. <laughs> it's, it's huge, right? Because assessment has been labeled, this happens last, this happens right. later, this happens after I've exhausted everything I could speak at you for 50 minutes three times a week. Then I assess where, wherever I landed, I assess you. And, and, and you're designing after trying to better understand your audience. Right, right. Yes. Focus groups and everything. <laughs> right. So sorry, I, I paused you in the middle of the pillars, but I just think 
that's so crucial here is assessment is not um, you know divorced from this concept of well how did I set up my students for success yeah and I didn't I just asked them to pair up with the person next to them or something absolutely agree and that was a discovery that we made through I made through teaching the course and having conversations around um, forming teams and how do how do we get people to truly feel that this is a team-based approach course not a group project so we used to do just like a final product showcase and poster session at the end of the semester. But because we really, we've used this human-centered design approach and we've really focused on how do we, how do we help them design their teams and how do we continuously help them evolve their teams? How do we go through human-centered design to help them with the teams? Um, and this semester was a great example. About 10 weeks into the semester, we had to go back to the understand about teams and we had to re-talk to them about like what it means to be a good team member, give what, them new resources. What signals are you seeing that that's saying? So 10 weeks is about when we get back from spring break. Like, uh. <laughs> um, and so it was the signals that I was seeing was um, people kind of checking out or, or not completing their assignments when they committed to their team members to complete their assignments, um, coming to lab without having a, a true plan. Is that something a lot of folks that would be looking to implement uh, human-centered design should be cognizant of? Is Yeah. It's yeah, kind of back to iterate. That's I an guess. awesome question, by the way. I You just hit the spot. I, <laughs> because I was thinking about this exactly. Like I wanted to just elaborate on what Don was explaining to say that when you decide as an instructor or a faculty member to um, teach about, through, and with human-centered design, basically all your pedagogical decisions, and by that I mean the activities that you decide to, to engage your students in, including assessments and scaffolding and uh, um, you know ways of teaching and activities, I think are all inspired by a Venn diagram, which has three important constructs. Human-centered design itself as a problem-solving approach and a teaching model. The content of your course, which is in that case food science. And then collaborative problem-solving or teams, because there's a huge overlap between, you know, human-centered design project, which is highly, highly reliable on, on teams and how teams function and work and collaborate, not cooperate, right? And there's also the content piece that we don't want to forget, which is the food science in that case, or maybe engineering or chemistry or whatsoever. But my point is, whenever you decide to go into that adventure, you have to keep the three constructs in mind and how they are interacting together. And one will feed the other for sure, but you can't think of one independent of the other. Mm -hmm. So you need to think about all of these variables, specifically those three, right, to be able to do your job properly as an instructor. To actually do some of the assessments, mm -hmm. we actually use Miro. We've, we, the individuals from Siebel, um, Ted in particular, and then Saad, helpful, definitely helpful. Um, we came up with some guiding principles around the design of the frameworks that we created specific for student assessment within Miro. And that was hugely helpful this semester. Um, and then they, we've, we had this, you know, great hope that they would continue to use that mirror board through prototyping. I think that one of the really great design elements of that, that Saad and Ted really prioritized when they were creating the frame was that ability for students to work first individually. 
then to come together and collaborate those thoughts into team, like to the team approach, and then having a space for us as instructional, their instructors to help guide through their resources or commentary or what have you. Mm -hmm. So um, that piece was that definitely yeah. evolved from a human-centered approach because when we used the mirror boards the first year, we got a lot of feedback on the, on how they were using it. Clunky, they, yeah. yeah, and and reactive. Mm. Whereas the design, like designing in these key elements based on what students told us, so understanding why it was clunky, mm. and, and designing in was more proactive and and. I think definitely led to some really great outcomes, especially in their, in the first three spaces of human-centered design. Their, their assignments and assessments associated with understand, synthesize, and ideate. I, I want to make sure letting lots of voices come into play, there are many rightly pessimists listening uh, that might just be thinking about all the ways that this might not work or that this can't work, or that we shouldn't do this, or that is, I don't have enough time. Or can, can you basically give some some sort of, paint that out for me, like what are people most often, how do people react that mm -hmm. are maybe saying that, or how, what's your response to that, or maybe what's a personal struggle that you've had to overcome or are still overcoming by trying to implement this? Like, so what would you say I'll to some of that I'll let you side? answer second, and I'll just <laughs> give a couple, I would, I'm just gonna call them instructor observations of awareness. Okay. Ooh. <laughs> Okay, so I think the one thing, or the first thing that a faculty member needs to recognize and be prepared for when they implement human-centered design is they need to be giving of their time. Mm. They need to think of themselves as someone guiding their, these teams down the river, basically, or up the river, I guess we can say. Um, but they, there is a huge, time involvement. It doesn't necessarily have to happen outside of class, but for example, each laboratory session, myself and the TA is meeting with every team. And usually those sessions are about a half an hour. Sometimes they're within the, the space of the other student teams, and sometimes we're pulling them out to actually have you know one-on-one -on -one, what I call team health checks with these teams, um, but it does require an awareness, silent observation as well as interviewed observation. But I do think embedding time, knowing that you have to embed time into your calendar to your curriculum, um, in order to really have those meaningful guiding conversations being willing to hear what they aren't liking about the course and then help having them come with you to come up with some ideas, which then you try to prototype and implement. Um, I think that is a big watch out and something that might deter people um, from wanting to utilize human-centered design because it it's so important and it can be so fulfilling, but it can be very emotionally taxing. And unless you're unless there's some you feel unless you yourself feel trained to host those conversations it might be something that somebody might shy away from um they do a lot of assessments they do a lot of activities they have a lot of activities that don't count for points uh -huh. because they have to do it as a means to further go move on to the next step or maybe reflect back on what they were doing um we do a lot 
the course is over 2,000 points. So, I mean, there's not, <laughs> it's not like I have a, it's like this simple breather course and I'm just there to chit chat with the students, sure. although I would love to just chit chat with students, but it's important and it's essential. And I think that that's one of those observational awarenesses that, um, I don't have a problem with. I actually love it. It's a way to connect and everything, but it could be intimidating. Yeah, sure. So I think the biggest challenge, if you decide at some point in time to teach about through and with human-centered design is, as Don was saying, it's labor intense and you cannot escape it, unfortunately. Like you get more fluent at it. You may become more efficient, more practiced, more experienced. Um, there are some tools that will, and by tools, I mean technological tools that will keep emerging over time, of course, that will help us, you know, track groups better or all of it. But still, it will it will always be labor intense because if you want to think about it seriously, like you are trying to um, thrive in five phases. So it's labor intense. And uh, I'm always like, I always tell Don this, like I'm really impressed how she does it mm -hmm. with her TAs. Seriously, like she's an excellent, amazing model for how to make it happen. We personally, like as Siebel Center learned from her and her experience a lot. So don't do it if, and that's why I always try to sell the framework as pieces. Like yeah. if you feel you cannot do about and through, that's okay, you can do with. You can start with with at least because sure. This is the best, in my opinion, approach because this will help you learn about human-centered design so you apply it yourself and you start viewing yourself, as I mentioned, as a designer, not just a teacher or a person who's passing knowledge to the other. You're and partnering with your students, as we like the term. And when you're more practiced, you can then lead others. Absolutely. And then you can start see seeing opportunities. I mean, and again, uh, you don't have to be like, I will teach about and through human-centered design through my entire course. Yeah. Sometimes it's enough just to you know inject a small activity where your students go and talk to people and learn those like interviewing skills that's for me is teaching about human-centered design that's totally fine it doesn't have to be the full approach as long as you clearly and explicitly communicate with the students that this is a part of human-centered design that we're going to encounter here for the following reasons of course so thank you so so much for coming down and describing all this and i'm sure there's going to be lots of follow-up headed your way having described all of the wonderful things that you're doing in your course well thank you for the opportunity to talk about it it's it, for me, it's been so wonderful, the partnership with Siebel, the introdu introduction of human-centered design into my life, as you, as you can note, it's had a huge influence. Um, but yeah, thank you so much for giving us the opportunity because yeah. we are, we are, and we are continuously using human-centered design to continuously improve the course. There's that iterate again. That iterative yep, yep. approach. We're doing that on this podcast. Steve. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe the next time you're on it will be totally different. There you go. That's great. All right. Thanks again. Yeah. Thank you so much for providing the space. It was an honor and pleasure to talk to you. And it's incredible to keep working with Don. Oh, Seriously. Same. Yes, right back at you. <laughs> yeah. That, that capstone experience just seems, um, you're providing so much from the content of the discipline to the technology, to the team-based approach approach and they're getting so much out of that final course. It seems like a great way to wrap things up. That's our goal. Thanks for listening. Saad mentioned several resources like journal articles, white papers, presentations. We've put a bunch in the description and you can always reach out to Saad directly, his center or the show for more on HCD and education. Our email here is ttll at illinois.edu, and we'll gladly take examples and stories of implementing HCD elements into your teaching. 
This podcast was produced by the Center for Innovation and Teaching and Learning at the University of Illinois. Episodes can be found on our website, citl.illinois.edu, and on major podcast platforms. We hope you'll find us there and join the conversation.